Good morning. I know we all have exciting activities planned for our mothers, so I'll make sure that we are done before Mother's Day is over. All right, if you would turn with me uh, to the book of First Kings. We're going to spend the majority of our time in chapters 10 and 11. But I want to start by considering four different things that I want us to keep in mind as we look at this text here in 1 Kings 10. So this is basically the, the conclusion of what we're going to look at, but I want to give it up front here so we can keep it in mind. The first thing is that 2 Timothy 4, 7 says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So as Christians, we're all striving to finish the race that we're running. We want to finish it well, because how we finish the race, how we reach the end of our lives is much more important than what came before. Right. No matter how good or bad or or whatever our lives look like, how we finish is what is most important. Right. Uh, You think of a boxing match, maybe nine rounds. One guy looks like he's getting beat up. But in the last round, if he manages to knock that other guy out, none of that other stuff matters. Right. So it's the same for us in our in our walk and our faith that to finish well is more important than anything else. And so we need to make sure we're living a life that will support that and that we would uh, bear in mind that finishing well is most important. The second thing I want us to think of is. Something that I used to have, and I think a lot of young people have that in in mind, is that you get to a certain age and then all of a sudden you become mature and wise and interested in the things of God. I remember being 14, 15, 16 in youth group uh, back at my home church and hearing the testimony of people in their 20s and 30s. And they would all say things like, you know, in high school and college, I did all these things. And then finally, in my mid 20s, I realize the importance of God's word. And so to me, it sort of seemed like, you know, I I may not get it now. I may not live correctly now, but it'll happen when I get older. I'll get a little bit older and I'll, I'll straighten up. It just comes with age. But as we'll see here in this story, we're looking at the the story of Solomon. And in first Kings chapter 11 in verse four, it says, for it was so when Solomon was old, that his heart was turned away from God. So Solomon, in his old age, was seduced to follow other gods. So there's no automatic guarantee that just because we're in church and just because we're Christians, that in our old age we'll suddenly mature and come to this strong finish. And then almost as if to to enforce that thought in 1 Timothy, it says, let no one despise your youth. But be an example to believers in the word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. So there's nothing automatic about our age. And even even young people are able to be an example to others in the word and in conduct. So there's no guarantee from age that we'll finish the race well. Now, Solomon, as we'll look at here. It seems that he didn't finish his race well. 
But Solomon has an interesting attribute that none of us have. We, we all should seek wisdom. We're commanded to do that. And we all, I hope, strive for that. But Solomon was the most wise person that had ever lived. And God promised him that he would be the most wise person ever and, and ever to come. In 1 Kings 3, when, when God asks Solomon, for, I'll give you anything. And he says, make me wise. And he says, I'll, make you wise, um, I'll give you an understanding heart. There has not been anyone like you before, nor shall any like you arise after you. So if you were to ask me, what's, what's important in making sure that you finish well? I would think one of the first things I would think of is wisdom, is to be wise. I want to get more wisdom so that I can finish well. And that may be helpful. But the most wise person that ever lived didn't finish well from what we see in this text. So wisdom is not a guarantee either. Wisdom is not the end all secret to finishing well. So what I would like to suggest is that finishing well comes from consistency and respect for the word of God. That we have to stay in the word of God and be in the word of God consistently, daily, remembering, meditating on what it says, that it would stay at the front of our minds, which is indeed a wise thing to do, right? But if we want to finish well, we need to stay in the word of God. And so I want to look through this story here in First Kings, starting in chapter 10. And just take a look at this progression that happened for Solomon here as he as he comes to the end of his life and and the, the downfall that he goes through. So in first Kings chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 14, but the first 13 verses there are um, a key text explaining Solomon's wisdom. But now we get into verse 14 and we see about Solomon's wealth. Now, is there anything inherently sinful about wealth or about Solomon's wealth? No, because it came from God. God blessed him with this wealth and God does not bless us with anything inherently sinful. But it seems from Solomon's behavior here, starting in verse 14, that he becomes a little bit uh, consumed. A little bit too interested in his wealth. And we'll see that in some of the things that he does and some of the habits that he's into here. So starting in verse 14 of 1 Kings chapter 10, it says the weight of gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. I believe that's, if I remember correctly, 25 tons of gold. I don't own 25 tons of anything. All of my stuff added together doesn't weigh that much. He gets 25 tons of gold every year. Uh, besides that, from the traveling merchants, from the income of traders, and from the kings of Arabia, and from the governors of the country. And King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. He also made 300 shields of hammered gold. Three minas of gold went into each shield. The king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with pure gold. The stone had six steps and the top of the throne was round at the back 
There were armrests on either side of the place of the seat, and two lions stood beside the armrests. Twelve lions stood there, one on each side of the six steps. Nothing like this had been made made for any other kingdom. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Not one was silver, for this was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. For the king had merchant ships at sea with the fleet of Hiram. Once every three years, the merchant ships came bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, monkeys, or maybe peacocks, baboons. So King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. All the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. Each man brought his present Articles of silver and gold, garments, armor, spices, horses, and mules at a set rate year by year. So Solomon, the Lord is blessing him with all these material things, gold, silver, all these riches. And it would seem that he's doing things that are are after after his pleasures and his glory. He's importing all these exotic animals. He builds the biggest throne that any kingdom has ever seen. This throne is insane. It's got these steps. There's lions on each side of the throne made of gold and ivory. It's this huge, huge throne. So Solomon comes into this recurring stream of material wealth, and he begins to build these things that he puts up and eats with gold and builds this large throne and continues to expand his own glory with all these material blessings. And in verse 26, Solomon begins to become consumed with his own strength. In verse 26, it says, And Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen, whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king at Jerusalem. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones, and he made cedar trees as abundant as the sycamores, which are in the lowland. And Solomon had horses imported from Egypt and Keva. The king's merchant, uh, king's merchants bought them in Keva at the current price. Now a chariot that was imported from Egypt cost 600 shekels of silver and a horse 150. And thus, through their agents, They exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. So Solomon uses a portion of his wealth to gather horses and chariots. And he builds up this this army, this, this sea of horses and horsemen and chariots. But if we peek ahead now to the next verse, the first verse of chapter 11, there's another thing that King Solomon became obsessed with. And it says in verse one, King Solomon loved many foreign women. And we'll read in a moment here that he had a thousand women that uh, that he loved, which I would suggest is probably more lust than love, because loving one woman is enough work for a man, right? (laughs) Duty, enough duty. It's great. But a thousand, I I don't think that that's, probably didn't have a very genuine love for all 
1,000 of these, these wives. So if Solomon is the wisest person that ever lived, and we'll read in just a moment that in his old age he was turned away from God, we're going to have to see where his failure was. And like I said, I would suggest that it is a lack of consistency and respect for the word of God. So verses 1 through 8 now in chapter 11, we see Solomon's downfall. It says, But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn you or, or turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. So right in those verses, we see uh, a prophecy or a promise from the Lord. They will surely turn your hearts away. And in the next verse, they turned his heart away. Verse four, for it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father, David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord, as did his father, David. Then Solomon built a high place. For Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem. For Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives, who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. I can only imagine with wives from all these different lands that, you know, the first group or the first wife says, can you build an altar to my God over here, and so he does. And then another group of wives comes over and is like, what about me? I want an altar over here too. So he's got all these women from different lands coming and trying to turn his heart. And so he just starts complying. He just starts building all of these altars and these honoring places for these false gods. And so what is God's response to Solomon's misbehavior here? Verse 9. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. And we'll look at those in just a moment and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. So let's look back at those things. It said he met with him twice. The first time is still in the book of first Kings, chapter three. And in verse five, it says at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask, what shall I give you? So Solomon asks for wisdom and the Lord blesses him with this unmatched wisdom and tells him that since he asked for wisdom, that he's going to give him all these material blessings as well. But God finishes this with. An instruction. First Kings chapter three, verse 14. God says, so if you walk in my ways. To keep my statutes and my commandments 
as your father David walked, I will lengthen your days. So God tells him, keep my commandments, walk in my ways. The second meeting, turning forward to chapter 9. Chapter 9 in verse 2 says, The Lord appeared to Solomon the second time, as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. And then if we skip down to verse 4, God tells Solomon, If you walk before me as your father David walked, in integrity of heart and in uprightness, to do according to all that I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, as I promised your father David, saying, You shall not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. But if you or your sons at all turn from following me, or do not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them, and this house which I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight. Israel will be a proverb and a byword among my peoples. So God gives Solomon two clear, direct pieces of instruction and a warning. Keep my commands, keep my statutes, follow the things that I've, I've laid out for you to follow. But God is not the only person that gave Solomon this instruction. His own father did as well. You can flip back to First uh, Kings chapter 2. And we see that David is approaching death. And he has some instructions for Solomon. And they're going to sound very similar to God's instructions. Chapter 2. In verse 1 says, Now the days of David drew near that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies. By memory? No, as it is written in the law of Moses. That you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. So David says the same thing God says. Keep the statutes. Keep the commandments. Walk in the ways of the Lord. As is written in the law of Moses. You have this written word. And we can look at that law. And see exactly what instructions we're talking about. Or what we're being described here. To King Solomon in Deuteronomy chapter 17. Okay? Deuteronomy chapter 17. There's two verses we want to consider. Verses 16 and 17. And they say this. God's describing kingly behavior. What a king should and shouldn't do. And he says in verse 16, But he shall not multiply horses for himself. Nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. In 1 Kings 10, 14-25, we saw Solomon becoming... A little bit obsessed 
with his material blessings. And at the end of verse 17, it says, he shall not multiply silver and gold for himself. But Solomon is importing tons, literal tons of gold every year, building things, trading, working on getting more and more. And then in verses 26 to 29, he became obsessed with strength. He was importing horses and chariots from where? Egypt. But in verse 16 here in Deuteronomy, it says, You shall not multiply horses for yourself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses, which is exactly what Solomon did. And then in in chapter 11, he was becoming obsessed with women, a thousand wives. But here in Deuteronomy 17, it says, Neither shall he multiply wives, lest he turn his heart away. And that's exactly what we see happen to Solomon in this story, when he has all these wives influencing him to build all these different altars. So he's charged by the word of God, by his father, by God himself, to keep the commands. But here in Deuteronomy 17, it gives a more specific instruction on how he is to keep those commands, how he's to remember them and what his his behavior is supposed to be. Chapter 17, verse 18, Deuteronomy says, It shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book and the one before, from the one before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God And be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. Wisdom is good. Wisdom is important. We're commanded to get wisdom. But the key to finishing well, the instruction for finishing well and not turning aside and not disobeying God is to have the word of God and to to review it daily, to meditate on it, to remember it, to keep it in our minds. Well, that's not what Solomon did. He disobeyed all of those statutes, turned his heart away from God. And so let's read through what God did what the result was here in chapter 11. uh, We just read verse nine, where he said the Lord had appeared to him twice, commanding him. So we'll pick up uh, in verse 12. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days, right? Because he said, "I, I will tear the kingdom Away from you and give it to your servant. Right. God said, I will give it to your servant. But he said, nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father, David. Now, in the midst of this blatant disobedience. God is still very gracious, is he not? God gave explicit instructions. We just read three of them. Don't get too many horses. Don't multiply gold and don't get wives. And then Solomon gets a lot of horses, gets a lot of gold, and gets a lot of wives. And God says, nevertheless, 
I'm not going to do this in your days because of what I told your father, David. But I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant, David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Now, in verse 14, we see the first judgment from God. Now, the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon, Hadad, the Edomite. He was a descendant of the king in Edom, for it happened when David was in Edom and Joab, the commander of the army, had gone up to bury the slain after he had killed every male in Edom, because for six months Joab remained there with all Israel until he had cut down every male in Edom, that Hadad fled to go to Egypt. He and certain Edomites of his father's servants with him. Hadad was still a little child. Then they arose from Midian and came to Paran. And they took men with them from Paran and came to Egypt to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who gave him a house, apportioned food for him and gave him land. And Hadad found great favor in the sight of Pharaoh so that he gave him as as wife, the sister of his own wife, that is the sister of Queen Tapanes. Then the sister of Tapanes bore him Ganubeth, his son, who Tapanes weaned in Pharaoh's house and Ganubeth was Pharaoh's household was in Pharaoh's household among the sons of Pharaoh. So when Hadad heard in Egypt that David rested with his fathers and that Joab, the commander of the army, was dead, Hadad said to Pharaoh, let me depart that I may go to my own country. Then Pharaoh said to him, but what have you lacked with me that you suddenly need to go seek your own country? So he answered, nothing, but let me go anyway. So God raises up Hadad, the Edomite. And Hadad doesn't lack anything in Egypt, but he still wants to go back. So it sounds like his motive isn't for any need, but rather an interest in stirring up trouble for Solomon. But that's not the only adversary God raises up. Verse 23, God raised up another adversary against him. Razon, the son of Elida, who had fled from his lord, hated Ezar, king of Zobah. So he gathered men to him and became captain over a band of raiders when David killed those of Zobah. And they went to Damascus and dwelt there and reigned in Damascus. He was an adversary of Israel all the days of Solomon, besides the trouble that Hadad caused. And he abhorred Israel and reigned over Syria. The thing that's interesting about these two characters is that in, in relation to Solomon, Hadad is raised up from the south. And Razon is raised up from the north. So Solomon's kingdom now has these adversaries coming from both sides. Which is bad enough. But that's not where God stops. We've got someone from the north and we've got someone from the south. But what happens in verse 26? Then Solomon's servant, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephraimite from Zerida, whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow, also rebelled against the king. So this isn't north. This isn't south. It's not east. It's not west. It's within. It's Solomon's own kingdom. So the Lord raises up an adversary from the north, from the south, and from within his own kingdom. And this is what caused, verse 27, and this is what caused him to rebel against the king. 
Solomon had built the millow and repaired the damages to the city of David, his father. The man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor. And Solomon, seeing that the young man was industrious, made him the officer over all the labor force of the house of Joseph. Now it happened at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, met him on the way. and He had clothed himself with a new garment, and the two were alone in the field. Then Ahijah took hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and give give ten tribes to you. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, because they have forsaken me and worship Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Milcom, the god of the people of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways to do what is right in my eyes and keep my statutes and my judgments, as did his father David. However, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, because I have made him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of my servant David, whom I chose, because he kept my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and give it to you, ten tribes, And to his son, I will give one tribe that my servant David may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city I have chosen for myself to put my name there. So I will take you and you shall reign over all your heart desires and you shall be king over Israel. Then it shall be if you heed what I command you, walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight to keep my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did. Then I will be with you and build for you an enduring house as I built for David and will give Israel to you. And I will afflict the descendants of David because of this, but not forever. The servant mentioned in verse 10, 11, verse 11, God says he's going to raise up a servant and give the kingdom to him. And we now have that description, Jeroboam. Solomon raises Jeroboam to an honorable position. And then God sends the prophet Ahijah to explain to him that the kingdom is going to be taken from Solomon's son and given to him. And now we can see how far Solomon fell in verse 40. Solomon therefore sought to kill Jeroboam. It's interesting that God wrote these instructions, David told these instructions to Solomon, and then God tells Solomon twice, keep my commands, and he disobeys. And then God tells Solomon, because you disobeyed, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. So Solomon thinks, I know what I'll do. God God won't see this coming. I'm going to kill Jeroboam myself. So he tries to kill Jeroboam. So now he's not only absurd trying to change the the plan of God, but such rebellion, such defiance, you'd think that the wisest man alive would eventually recognize his ways. And there's a lot of discussion, actually, on how Solomon finished, whether he he did come back to the Lord and then wrote these other books and so on. And that's not explicitly clear in Scripture. But I would suggest from verse 40 here that Solomon did not finish well. And this is why I think that. Solomon sought to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt, 
to Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. It seems to me that he had good reason to stay in Egypt until Solomon was dead, which would lead me to believe that Solomon had interest in killing him all the way until his own death. And we ought to seek wisdom, that's commanded, but wisdom alone is not enough. And it does seem to be a pattern in the life of believers that uh, some maturity and wisdom comes with age, but that's not the key. God explains the key. And that's to stay consistent in the word of God. So I want to finish by reading a portion of Psalm 19. Psalm 19, where we see this description of the word of God and what it contains. So Psalm 19, starting in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul or reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And Solomon, he knew verse 10 says, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. And then verse 11, moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. So it's by the word of God, by his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, his law and his testimony and we will be revived and we will continue to gain wisdom. Our eyes will be enlightened and there's great reward in keeping the word of God. Not only is there great reward in keeping the word of God, but that is the, our only hope of finishing well. The wisest man that ever lived in his old age, turned away from God and rebelled and disobeyed God and brought ruin on him himself and his lineage and his kingdom. And based on the instructions that God gave him and David gave him and that were written in Deuteronomy, it's because he failed to keep the word of the Lord to read that consistently, right? Because it says, if you read it consistently, he told the kings to do that. He said, if you do this, then you won't turn. But it's not what happened for Solomon. So I encourage us to not take the word of God lightly. There are actually a couple of verses in this story that I thought might be a little long to read. But when my conclusion is that we can't take the word of God lightly, I have to read every verse, right? So let's 
let's make sure that we understand the importance of God's word consistently. Right? It's not enough to to have a knowledge, but to review it and to meditate on it is, is what God commands. And it's going to be the only thing that helps us to finish well. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the word of God. I don't think we will ever understand what an important and precious gift it is. But we thank you that you tell us that it is and we thank you that you require us to spend time in it and that you sustain us through it and you revive us through it. So please give us a burden for the importance of the word of God that it wouldn't be something we fit in as our schedule allows, but that it would be the the crowning jewel of most importance in our schedule that we would make time and prioritize and be in the word and meditate on it day and night. Keep it on our lips. Keep it on our hearts. So please give us that burden. And if we already have that burden, please strengthen it and let it endure in us all the way to the end so that we can finish well and be a, a witness to others and that we can love you the way we're called to do. So please be with us. Help us to do that. And bless us as we go our way until the next time that we come back together. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.